0: Welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in the security space about their careers, specifically how they got into it and how they advanced. My name is Gene Faye, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we're joined by Ted Julian, who has held leadership roles in many cybersecurity companies, including Devo and the best company ever, Resilient Systems. That's an inside joke for our our listeners. Ted and I worked there together, and it's currently working on launching a new company while also doing some work with a great VC called Glasswing. Ted is a great friend of mine, and I'm very excited to have him on the show today. Ted, welcome.
1: I'm super psyched to be here, Gene. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, fantastic. We're on a text chain, and uh, another friend of ours was sitting at a booth at a startup. So we're gluttons for punishment. We worked together at Resilient Systems where we happily sold the company and worked uh, for a long time for IBM, and uh, now we just keep doing it. So for any of those uh, entrepreneurs out there that want to start a cybersecurity company, there's only 6,000 competitors, but it's still an awesome industry. So uh, definitely something to think about. So uh, let's jump into it, Ted. You've got a unique perspective because you've been in cybersecurity from, uh, dare I say, the early days. And can you share a little bit about what the industry like when it
1: was just getting started? Oh, my gosh. I mean, like it's the proverbial hackers. I mean, how things have changed, where to begin. Like, I mean, in the early days, it was it was hackers with some cool idea or some innovative technology often didn't really know anything about business. A lot of them may not have formal educations at all. And uh, it was just kind of the wild, wild west of kind of just building these businesses I mean, such a stark contrast in a million ways from how much more corporate, professional and kind of buttoned down things are today, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think uh, for our listeners, I've definitely plugged this book before. But if it, if you have an interest in the early days of cult, uh, read Cult of the Dead Cow, Ted is mentioned in there and yeah. many other people. And I think <laughs> the most interesting thing about the early days is they were hackers and they weren't always about good. They were just hacking. Right, it wasn't good or bad. It was just checking things out and seeing what could be done, and and uh, it was it's an interesting and, and for those located in New England, reading the Cult of the Dead Cow, you realize that a lot of really interesting people were here and created many fantastic companies, including Vericode and and others. So I I wish I would have known about it. I was uh, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was selling video editing equipment. I didn't know anything about it <laughs> in the early nineties. So. So Ted, you and I worked together um, and and your role was leading our product management and you've spent most of your career in the product management side of it. So for those that are new to cybersecurity, but also new to what a structure of a startup looks like, uh, what the heck did you do all day? What does product management do?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Product management kind of uh, sits between all the external parts of the business, like sales and marketing. And then the internal parts of the business, like engineering who are building the product. When you're trying to sell this profession to a young professional, this is what you say. You say, you get to be the CEO of your own product, (laughs) right? And it's, oh, well, I'd like to be the CEO of my own product. Sign me up. And we're joking about it, but there's some truth to this, right? And that that is what I think makes the profession a lot of fun, is that, yeah, like being the CEO of your product. Why do they say that? They say that because it's not just defining the features and working with engineering to build the roadmap and then driving those features to their delivery. That's a big part of the job and it is a lot of fun, but you really need to understand pricing and packaging. You need to understand other things related to the go-to-market. The people in marketing, like in product marketing, they're going to count on you huge to help them understand like what you've built, why the heck anybody should care sales is going to be pulling you in like as a technical expert to help answer questions and to kind of establish credibility. It's a really, really great function, a really, really great job. I can't recommend it highly enough to people who find the kinds of things I just described interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's a dynamic environment. I'll do the office space uh, reference, uh, (laughs) but except you actually do talk to customers and you do talk to the engineers as opposed to the, the funny set where they talk to engineers. What do you do? But you really are that linchpin of helping the company understand what current customers' needs and wants are, but equally important, what future customers. So that's constant kind of the pulse on what's going on in the industry. And, and equally, no matter how large a company, and, and Ted's started some phenomenal companies, but also, like me, work for some large companies, there's always limited resources so sales is going to ask for n number of feature requests <laughs> they all can't be met no matter how big our team got they, they can not be met so helping
1: oh um, but come on man it's a huge okay. deal you just deliver this we're going to get this million dollar thing right
0: so really thinking about that and helping the leadership team or in uh, some cases the ceo think through uh, hey why are we going to build x over y and why aren't we going to do z and sometimes i mean we're going through this at ThreatX so, We're spending a lot of time on a big announcement that we're going to make at RSA, and some of it doesn't directly correlate to all of our customers. And equally, there's things that we'd like to do to go faster with that, but there's some great customers who have made some really unique requests, and we want to build those quick-ass capabilities. So that push and pull uh, that happens, uh, the product management team and the product management leader is really helping to everybody, they you know, really process that so that you know what's going on. So I do think it's a great thing. And the other thing and I know, Ted, you agree is it's a unique role where you can come from business or you can come from the technical side and either role plays, uh, you know, yep. either side can come into this role and be able to bridge the gap. Now, a business person needs to have some technical chops, but it can be learned. And equally, somebody with some technical chops needs to learn some business sense, but that linchpin of dividing those
1: things, I think, is a great place. Oh, man, I just can't I can't agree more with everything you just said, both in terms of that visceral feeling of what it's like and all the tension of the requests, and you can't do it all, and how do you prioritize and try to make the most of limited resources, 100%. Yeah, and then in terms of the background, I don't think you're right. I think you're right. There is no one only path. There are some engineers who make incredible product managers, though it's not for all engineers. You know, there's some marketers or even salespeople who could make great product managers, but it's not for everybody. And I think it's when you do have some other domain, if I'm honest, that you've kind of at least gotten some mastery of. That's what can really make from good to great in terms of a PM.
0: Yeah, well said. So, so cybersecurity is constantly and rapidly changing. Right, I mentioned there's six thousand. Uh, vendors. Uh, when you started, there were you know a handful. When I started, there were a couple of hundred. So we're all, we're both freaking old, but what advice would you give those new to the industry, being able to manage uh, this constant change that's happening?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what I'm about to say, I think it's true actually for almost anybody, even outside of the security. It's all about, especially if you're young in career, in your career, find that technology disruption. Like what has just changed? that's kind of like changing the landscape. Right now, an obvious example would be AI, right? right? But in security, I mean, that's one of the great things about security. There's something new every day. Yeah. I mean, there's some new vulnerability for sure. Even th- major threat vectors come along at a pretty regular clip. And any, what I'm saying is as a, as a young professional to like just position yourself at the center of that and make yourself the expert. Cause you know what, when it first breaks,
0: there are no experts.
1: Yes, exactly. You you can declare
0: yourself an expert by simply declaring yourself an expert.
1: (laughs) Put some work in, you know, to learning a bit about it and doing some research. But yeah, it's not like other things where there's decades or more of people who've been like mastering their craft here. So find that disruptive wave, whatever it might be, position yourself at the center of it, whatever your domain might be. Like this is certainly true for PMs, but it could be true for SEs. It could be true for marketers or whatever. And that is like a, Tried and true, time tested way to really accelerate the progression of your career because organizations, big and small, they're like, oh, AI is happening. Like, what the hell are we doing? We need some smart people around AI because they don't know. And yeah, magic can happen for sure. And the other thing I think about it when more
0: specifically just cybersecurity is some people that are uh, thinking about getting into it, well, you know, this thing's now kind of been around for 20 years, there's 6,000 vendors. <laughs> It must yeah. be right for all sorts of consolidation. I want to get into something new and hot, and this is old and stodgy. And what I say to him is, I thought that 17 years ago when I started, <laughs> right? I was like, wow, this is really crowded. But Greg Draken from yep. 406 said it perfectly to me. He said, what, what makes our industry unique is what typically happens is a new technology gets rolled out, a bunch of competitors glom onto it, a bunch of corporations buy it then eventually somebody becomes the winner, two or three winners, and then you consolidate back down. And it's kind of the relationship between these vendors like us and major corporations that we sell our products to. Uh, So it's a one-to-one relationship. What we have here in cybersecurity is we have a third dynamic, and that is the hacker. And the hackers, they are literally what, I think you read that article too, Ted. It's The third largest economy in the world is cybersecurity Mm -hmm. crime so that dynamic they change the game I and mean, every time they change the game either existing invent- vendors like ourselves adapt or a whole bunch of cool people say hey we can go solve that problem so i think that's kind of what what makes it you know it makes it exciting it's like an
1: accelerant that doesn't exist in other sectors and you know as we sit here in a rocky economy it's really beneficial from that aspect as well, because it doesn't make any difference, right? Nope. The bad guys, they're busy. They're probably busier when things are busier,
0: tough. Right. Yeah. Um, job, you know, they suddenly now have, it's just not nights and weekends. Now this becomes their full time yeah. uh, way to make a living. And uh, yeah, companies have to protect themselves.
1: And so, what that's meant, you know, that we've seen over our careers in this business is that there's really never a terrible time in cyber. Yeah. You know, I mean, it varies from, good you know to great or whatever but even in kind of the bleakest times when i think of all the major corrections we've had like the dot com crash or the 2008 financial crisis you could still build a cybersecurity company because it's that one line item line in the budget that at some point you just are not going to cut it anymore yeah. it's just too risky no. so it's yeah. it's a great great industry in this respect it's very very resilient to use the word to recessions you know and to bad economies
0: yeah absolutely oh. Well, the next question. So you, like me, you're glutton for punishment. You know, we do a lot of early <laughs> stage companies and Ted's been there even earlier than I am. I, I'm an early entrepreneur and Ted, Ted's literally, you know, taking out the napkin and writing the first couple of lines of what thing to be.
1: <laughs> but why do you like working for a company as early as we do? Oh, it's uh, I just love the creation aspect. And then, you know, watching that idea or that creation come into fruition and, you know we were talking about being a pm and that's where again the pm is a great role because you are like a front row seat to that so just to give you an example of what i mean like those early design partners those customers that you're getting early on to help you kind of work from your prototype into your minimum viable product and that small team it's like a pm and it's going to be a couple engineers like front end back end qa or whatever and just that rapid iteration with those early customers to sort of bring this thing into fruition. It's a lot of fun. And the progress that you can make when the team is so small is it's breathtaking and it gets, it's addictive, honestly, like the challenge you run into is that you just can't keep doing that. Like eventually companies get bigger and you just kind of lose that. Yeah. So that aspect of the journey is a lot of fun. And I I guess the last thing I would say is when you've gone through all of that and hopefully things work. Sometimes, as you and I know, there's some it twists always. and turns. It's <laughs> usually not just that, like, the line when you pull back, it all looks like straight into to the right and up. But then you zoom in. It's always rocky. <laughs> anyway, you appreciate that everybody suffers the downs. But I think when you're there really early, you appreciate the ups in a way yeah. that uh, it's just better. It's different, more kind of, there's more to it, more heft. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I totally agree. I always, uh, on the podcast, talk about my brother, who works at Palo Alto. He's a very successful sales rep. It has been for a long time, but he doesn't want to invent anything. He doesn't want to invent how Salesforce, the uh, CRM is set up. He doesn't want to, he just wants to know, hey, I work for a company with a lot of great products. Palo Alto has a lot of great products and I want to sell a lot of stuff to the military, specifically the DOD. You know, that's why I just want to move stuff from left to right. And I think he's been very successful there, but me in that role, I would be the worst employee because I, I like you, Ted, I want to get there early. And I, I love, I'm not an engineer by training and come out of sales and marketing, but I love the inventive process. I like to think about what the culture of the company is going to be. And I love the fact that there's a whole bunch of things we've never done before. It's the first time we're going to do it. And then suddenly three, four years from now, somebody just keeps doing that. You're like, do you know why you do that? It's because me and a team of people sat in a room and whiteboarded that four years yeah. ago. And uh, suddenly it becomes the, just the way we do things.
1: Oh man, like- You get so heads down, you forget this stuff. This is even true for me. But like, let's just talk about resilient to use that as an example. I mean, we just had this idea and we worked and we worked and we worked and then we had to do a little bit of a pivot and it was not pretty, but pull back the lens. We invented a category, man. You, me and the rest of that team. Everybody knows what SOAR is now, right? Right. Security orchestration, automation, and response. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You got the number of things we called it before we got there, right? (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) Stuff nobody will know. That's going to be lost to history. But I guess what I'm saying is like, we created a market category that everybody understands. There's no question about it. Others came along. They did great. I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but we did it. We were first and it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for us. And uh, man, like I got goosebumps just thinking about that. What a great thing to be able to hang your hat on. Yeah. So that's just one way I memorialize what we're just talking about here in terms of how that can feel, and what an incredible life changing, career changing experience it can be.
0: Absolutely. So, our listeners, if you're thinking about starting the company, go for it. And I don't care what stage of life you're in. There's never a perfect stage. You say, "Well, I'm going to wait till and I'm married. I'm going to wait till after my you know till I have kids." Just do it. Get it started. Get on your journey. It's going to fail or it's not, but get on your journey. Don't let uh, Time be the reason you don't get it started. There's no perfect time. So get it started.
1: So, amen.
0: Yeah. So, last question you've gotten more recently into kind of angel investing and doing a lot of great work with uh, Glasswing on the VC side. You know, what would you recommend to others that are interested in doing this? Don't wait as
1: long as I did. (laughs) You know, like I think everybody has the same impression I did. If we just use angel investing as an example, oh man, like. To do angel investing you're going to have to have like millions and millions of dollars in your bank account and blah blah you know the minimum check is probably like 2 million dollars or something like that and you know you're nodding and smiling cuz that that actually is not true right you'd be surprised how early you could do this at a very small check size especially if you're getting into a startup and you're working with other startups like ask you know see can i can i put a little bit of money into that that round you're raising and you'd be surprised the answer you get And the reason I say this is a couple fold. I mean, first, we can't dismiss that financially, it could be great, right? Financially, it could be a really great outcome. But that's not it. That's not the only thing. The other aspect is like what you will learn, the relationships that you will build, the things that you're going to learn. You're going to learn a whole nother aspect of thinking about a business and thinking about investing in a business. And if you start that early, you're you're building an option for yourself later on. Right. Right? Because if you do want to start your own venture fund, go work for an existing venture fund or just become like more of a professional angel and join like an angel group or something like that. What's the best way to do it? Show that you've been doing it. And honestly, they won't care. Like it was a $5,000 check, you know, across these three companies over time. It doesn't matter. It's You know it, you did it. You have a track record, you've got some experience. So that would be my advice. Don't make the same assumptions I know I did. And don't think that this is something that you, you know, have to get to like some crazy point to be able to do it. Right.
0: Yeah. And it, and it gives you exposure to some early <clears throat> state school's companies that you, you might eventually want to go work for. Right. So it, it is a really interesting optionality. And uh, equally give Ted a plug for, uh, he's doing a lot of coaching with the companies he's investing in. And I know that the, the CEOs are getting massive value because I've had the pleasure of working with Ted and he's a He's an unbelievable operator and he's also just a good hearted person. So easy to be
1: around. And that's really nice for you to read a say, Gene. Thank a
0: you. Judge. CEOs are going to make mistakes. So having somebody like you who's not going to come in and go, hey, you know, like, no, hey, we all make mistakes. <laughs> I made a bunch of mistakes. Let's move on from it. So I, I'm sure those companies yeah. are just getting a ton of value.
1: It's fun to do. I mean, just to help them make a lo- some, all the stupid boneheaded mistakes. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <made>. oh, <absolutely. laughs> Well, awesome, Ted. Uh, Just thank you for your time. I knew you'd be a great guest, and uh, it took a little while to get it scheduled, but I'm so glad we are able to do that. As a reminder to our listeners looking to get into the cybersecurity game, uh, you can up your skills by visiting academy.threadx.com. We've got 140 hours of the latest, greatest cybersecurity materials out there. Use the promo code podcast, and you can get it all for free so please go to academy.threadx.com. Also like to give a plug for Bruce Schneier's latest book, Hacker Mind. We did an episode that's up there now. Please check that out. That one is slowly becoming one of the most listened to episodes until Ted's episode comes out.
1: I know, that's a tall hurdle to clear. (laughs) Way to go, Bruce.
0: Absolutely, (laughs) and then uh, lastly, if you want to learn more about API and application security, Please visit the ThreadX website, ThreadX.com. Ted, thank you again for being a great guest. So much appreciated and uh, hope to get the whole resilient team together soon for a dinner. We're we're a little behind (laughs) getting that scheduled.
1: Gene, buddy, my friend, no problem at all. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks.